Before we dive into this episode of HRD Masterclass, I'd like to take 30 seconds to share the exciting news that we're now seeking sponsors for Season 5 to release in 2024. This is a wonderful opportunity to support the podcast series and also share your message with 3,500 HRD listeners around the world. Sponsorship options cost just $750 and $600 per episode, and for full details, contact D-A-R-R-E-N at allbypodcast.com. Right, let's start the episode. Engagement becomes transformational. It changes everything about the future. And that's what makes me so excited. Because engagement gives the option for hope, for possibility. It can be different. Welcome to Human Resource Development Masterclass, the podcast series from the Academy of Human Resource Development, the organization that leads HRD through research. I'm your host, Darren Short, and throughout this second series, I'll be joined by leading authors, researchers, and scholars to explore the fundamentals of HRD and how those are changing in the 2020s. Our focus for this episode is employee engagement and we'll be looking at what we mean by the term employee engagement, the roots of the concept, how employee engagement is measured, HRD's role in employee engagement, how to improve employee engagement, and much more. To help me, I'll be joined by three leading scholars. Dr. Brad Shuck, Professor, University of Louisville, Dr. Kim Nyman, Professor, University of Texas at Tyler, and Dr. Jay Young Lee, Assistant Professor, Cookmin University, South Korea. In the first part of the episode, I'll chat one-to-one with each of them. Those one-to-one conversations are brought to you with the help of the generous support of our sponsor, Department of HRD at the University of Texas at Tyler, Seoul's College of Business. Then for the second part of the episode, Brad, Kim and Jay Young are together to explore their shared interest in employee engagement. That group conversation is brought to you with the help of the generous support of our sponsor, the Board of Directors of the Academy of Human Resource Development, who invite you to attend the 29th Annual Research Conference in the Americas, being held in Arlington, Virginia, February 23rd to 26th. All of the content you'll hear in this episode was recorded during September and October of 2021. Right, let's dive in to meet our guests. Here in the first section of the episode, I'll meet one-to-one with each guest. This section is brought to you thanks to the sponsorship support of the Department of Human Resource Development at the University of Texas at Tyler, Seoul's College of Business. The HRD department provides BS, MS and PhD degrees in human resource development. With the mission of leading the HRD field through innovative scholarship, academic excellence and professional service, The HRD department provides students with opportunities to combine study and professional experiences to develop, apply, synthesize, and evaluate HRD knowledge and address performance needs, issues, and problems of both for-profit and not-for-profit organizations. For full information, check out their website by doing a Google search for UT Tyler HRD. You'll find their page at the top of the search results. My first guest for the episode is Dr. Brad Shuck. 
an internationally recognized scholar, entrepreneur, and business thought leader in the areas of employee engagement and organizational culture. Brad is the author of Employee Engagement, a Research Overview, published by Routledge in 2020, and has published numerous peer-reviewed articles, book chapters, and invited presentations. Brad holds four U.S. copyrights and one pending trademark for his intellectual property around employee engagement, compassion, and work determinants of health. His work has been featured in international media outlets, including Forbes, India's Economic Times, and the Washington Post. Brad is a tenured full professor of human resource and organizational development at the University of Louisville and co-founder of Org Vitals, a disruptive, purpose-built culture management software platform. He is a member of the Honorable Order of Kentucky Colonels and holds advanced degrees in counseling, student affairs, human resource development, and adult education. Hi, Brad. Welcome to the Human Resource Development Masterclass. It's great to have you here in our episode focused on employee engagement. Darren, it is such a pleasure to be here with you today, talking about something that I just really love. I love to research, talk about, think about, um, and I am excited about this episode. I was thinking about a good place to start, and I wonder whether we go back to the beginning and just explore what we mean by the term employee engagement and how it's defined. Academically speaking, uh, employee engagement really developed back in the early 1990s uh, with a professor at Boston University. His name is William Kahn. William Kahn published an article called The Psychological Conditions of Personal Engagement and Disengagement. And that article really kind of developed the field of employee engagement. And it sat dormant for, uh, for a long time, almost uh, 15, 20 years. And, and then early on in the 2000s, uh, a guy by the name of Vilmar Schifelli published what was really seminal work around this concept called work engagement. And work engagement was born out of the roots of burnout, trying to understand like, why do people push and pull from work in different ways? And why do people feel emotionally exhausted? And what does that mean? And, and then uh, in the late 2010s, it began to get picked up in the human resource development field. And we, I say we, a friend of mine, Dr. Karen Woolard, and I published an article in Human Resource Development Review. And if you can believe it, it was the very first publication I ever had. And I needed it uh, because nobody knew how to define it in HRD and particularly the, the committee that I was working with at Florida International University really was pushing me to say like, all right, well, like, what does this mean to you? And what does this mean to the field? And up until that point, employee engagement had been really scarcely applied in human resource development. And um, we ended up uh, publishing a definition, which we have since kind of revised and we define employee engagement as the maintenance, the intensity, and the direction of effort and energy that we give to something. Now, one of the things that I love about employee engagement or just engagement in general is that the principles around engagement don't change, but the context does. So you can use that definition. Where do I give my effort and energy when we think about community engagement or family engagement or student engagement or faculty engagement? It is really how we use our time, our effort, our heart, our joy, our relationships, the, the resources that we have out into the world. Where do we direct those? And where we direct those is where we're really engaged. 
So we have the definition that you shared of employee mm. engagement. What I'm wondering about is how we get from a definition like that to a set of measures that can be used by organizations and researchers to actually measure employee engagement. It was really a problem that we tried to solve um, early on in my work around employee engagement. And I'd be remiss if I didn't also mention folks like uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Tom Rio, Dr. Rocco, Dr. Kim Nyman, Dr. Drea Zagarmi. These were people who were incredibly instrumental in, in my career path and helped me kind of understand how we get to a, an idea to something that we can really operationalize. And so we started with a definition. That was the first place we needed to start. Okay. So it's something that we can't see. So how do you define something that you can't see? Well, we spent a lot of time really thinking about how do we how do we see engagement show up in the world in ways that help us understand that the indicators of engagement are present? And then we use what we learned from that to really kind of build a definition. The second thing that we needed was a framework. Okay, we have a definition. So this is how this is what we say it is. Now, how does it happen? What does it look like? And we say that engagement happens really in three areas. It happens first in your mind. And there's some research to suggest that the, the mind and the emotions are, are symbiotically connected and that one oftentimes will inform the other, but that it happens in our mind and how we think about our work. And then second, it's how we feel about our work. So our cognitions really drive these appraisals of emotions that drive how we end up feeling about all of those interactions we have on a daily basis, how we see other people or how we show up in spaces for meetings or what does it mean to work on this particular project or how I even identify with my work in some ways. And then the third thing is how do we, how do we behaviorally act that out? Now, to be clear, we, we stop at the outcome because the outcome is the outcome. A, a lot of researchers, uh, early researchers would equate engagement with turnover or creativity or innovation or performance. And here's what I would say to that. Turnover is turnover. Uh, the, the outcome is the outcome. What we're interested in is the intention. My intention to be engaged in this is the behavioral outcome or the behavioral intent of being engaged. And so we'll say, okay, first it happens in the mind, then it happens in our heart, and then it happens in our intentions to act. From there, we have to operationalize. Now, remember that definition is about the maintenance, the intensity, and the direction. The framework is about how we think, how we feel, and then how we do. And so using that framework, we then develop a series of questions, uh, which uh, Tom Rio uh, G, uh, Dr. Jill Adelson uh, and myself uh, published in a journal called Human Resource Management. We re-operationalized that definition and operationalized that framework. So I'm guessing that there are multiple definitions out there for employee engagement and that each of those definitions probably has multiple sets of measures. So how would an organization go about looking at employee engagement and then decide which of those measures to actually adopt? One of the things that I think is particularly important when organizations are deciding on which engage, engagement measure to use is trying to figure out, are you studying employee engagement? Are you studying work engagement? Are you studying organizational engagement? Are you studying uh, collective engagement? And, and those, those sounds like splitting hairs, but the, the theoretical foundation of each one of those words is nomologically different. 
So for example, uh, my friend, Dr. Vilmar Schaffeli uh, at Utrecht University in the Netherlands developed uh, a measure called the, the Utrecht Work Engagement Scale. It's by far one of the most widely used measures in the world. That particular measure is grounded in the theoretical roots of burnout. Look, if you're looking to figure out um, how people are specifically engaged with their work, right? Like this task, this job, work engagement becomes a, a useful measure, in particular if you're okay with that theoretical foundation being in, in that burnout space. If you're looking at job engagement, how engaged someone is in their specific job, um, this task, this computer, this project, this, this thing, then perhaps Bruce Rich's, Dr. Bruce Rich's measure of job engagement is, is better suited for you. If you're looking for something to measure the employee experience, so everything from job to task to environment to context to culture, then perhaps employee engagement is the better application here for your organization, but also in research. So it sounds then that if an organization is using a set of measures to measure employee engagement, that presumably one of the things they want to do as a result of this is then create an action plan to get employee engagement better. From your experience of organizations that do that, are there particular aspects of employee engagement that are easier for an organization to work with and aspects of employee engagement that an organization would really struggle to improve on? So from my perspective, and, and I think the research backs this up pretty clearly, is that when, when people feel like they belong and when they can see purposeful, meaningful work as a part of their day-to-day -day opportunity, those seem to be very low-hanging fruit for me. You know, I've been in organizations before that have um, the best amenities. They've got ping pong tables and foosball tables. And I've literally seen organizations that have uh, cereal bars. You can, you can, you, you want Fruit Loops? Great. You want, uh, you want Cocoa Pebbles? Terrific. You, you want Honey Nut Cheerios? Yeah, we got that too. And, and here's what I would tell organizations. Man, if people don't feel like they belong, it doesn't matter what kind of cereal you have on your cereal bar. Somebody doesn't feel like their voice is uniquely valued in this organization those things don't matter and so i would spend my time really digging in to how do we help people feel like they belong here like they're connected and that they're a part of and when we do those things i think we really build strong communities i, I think engagement is just an output of that and so if I was working with an organization, I would ask them about their goals. I would ask them about how do you help people feel like they're a part of here? How do you onboard? How do you, from, from the day that they get here, and I can, I can recall stories in my own professional career where I would show up for my first day of work and nobody knew I was coming. Like it was a surprise to see me come in the door that day. Like, oh, wow, you're here. Uh, what do I do now? And, you know, how we help people enter in an organization how we help them live their lives through the middle of that, their space and time with us, and then how we help them exit. Man, those things matter. And engagement is certainly at the heart and at the core of that. I really like the onboarding example that you gave there, the idea that engagement starts with day one. In fact, in many cases, onboarding starts before day one. And so it starts essentially with your early connections with the company. Now, 
in many organizations, HRD owns onboarding. So maybe this might be a nice transition into exploring what you see as HRD's role with employee engagement. So I think, I think HRD has a tremendous opportunity to drive the conversation around employee engagement. And particularly, I mean, we could take this example of onboarding here where it is, it is setting up the conditions for someone to be successful in, in all aspects of their work context from the, their first connection their first connection with the company to um, their first day and how they feel walking in the door. I often will use the example of, and this is so pedestrian, but things like swag, like getting something that has a logo on it connects me to the team. Now I've had people roll their eyes like, well, you know, swag doesn't really drive engagement. Look, I I get that. I, I hear what you're saying, but there's a reason that professional sports teams all wear the same uniform. And they all wear the same gear. And when I played high school football, we had spirit packs and we all walked around together and we wore the same thing. And that's an artifact of community. It's an artifact of pride. And I'm willing to wear this because I'm proud of who I am. I identify with this particular space. Do I think swag drives engagement? Probably not. Do I think it's an artifact of how we develop it? Yes, I do. And I think it's a low hanging fruit for organizations to begin to to think about. I think about learning and development and and the research around how learning and development in organizations really uh, is is related to. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say that there's a correlation between learning and development opportunities and high levels of employee engagement because people can see their career there. I think when people have conversations with their managers about their career path, they're one of the things that I think is is just a woefully unutilized tool in organizations is sitting down with somebody and saying, Hey, how are things going? Where do you see your career here? How can we, how can we help you? I think employees thirst for those conversations. It's like walking in a dry desert for months. I mean, some people go years without having a a meaningful conversation with a leader in their organization about how they see their future here. And then all of a sudden they're thrust into this new position that they're not even sure they really want or they're good at or prepared for. And so they're nervous about this. Rather, setting up opportunities to sit down with people and saying, how are you? How are things going here? How are you feeling about your work? Do you see a career? How can we help you get better? You know, those are the kinds of things that HRD does really, really well. Technology integrations, performance improvement, and, and I go all the way to, and, and this, is, um, this is perhaps my own vision here, is I, I think about the idea of national HRD and what that means. And I love that national HRD expands the boundaries of our field. And for me, that bleeds over into communities and neighborhoods and states and nations and on a global scale. And I get really excited thinking about what would it be like every day if people could show up in spaces where they knew that they were valued and how that would change identity and what that would do for our field. Well, some great examples there of how actions that HRD takes in an organization can can build employee engagement. I'm, I'm thinking potentially about an organization that currently isn't focusing on employee engagement and wondering, is there an argument for HRD taking the lead role, i.e. picking that up and owning it in the company? Or do you typically see HRD supporting other functions that do own it? 
Hmm. Well, I'm probably a little biased here, and that's because my my training is is in this field. And I, but from a very practical perspective, I, I can tell you that I've worked in organizations where HRD did not have a leading voice in an, in creating a culture or an environment where employees could be engaged. And it felt very mechanical. It felt very manufactured. Uh, it felt very policy driven, very uh, structure driven. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's real engagement. I, I think that is, we might call that compliance. You know, I do these things because there's a rules in place that I have to follow and I don't want to get fired. And that, that doesn't, um, that doesn't allow engagement to flourish. And so I think for me, what I know about HRD is that this is about helping people find their opportunity to do their best work, to flourish in an environment, to utilize strengths and gifts in unique ways. And um, I'm reminded of conversations that, that I've had with practitioners over the years about how they have been valued for what they bring to the table. And because of that value, it shifted the nature of their career. I think HRD is uniquely suited at some of the research around um, uh, learning and development, some of the research around mentoring, some of the research around uh, uncivil behavior, um, I think is, is applicable here. For years and years and years, we have tried to create policies and procedures that put the human being within a box, in a workspace. And it, and it didn't work. Um, for the last 20 years, according to some of the major consulting groups across the globe, the needle on employee engagement hasn't moved a percentage point, not one percentage point in 20 years. How could that possibly be? Either we're, we're framing that problem incorrectly or, or, or we are massively doing something wrong. And I think this puts HRD in the forefront because HRD is about unleashing human potential. And it is about finding the best in those around us. And I'm particularly encouraged around the conversations with, uh, with inclusion and equity and belonging right now and what that means for everybody in an organization. Well, we're close to wrapping up on this first section of the episode, but before we do, I'd love to close with a personal question. You're clearly passionate about employee engagement. It comes through in uh, not just what you talk about, but also how you talk about it. And I'm wondering what it is about the topic that made you want to focus on it for your scholarship and writing. Uh, Darren, you're right. Employee engagement for me is a very, a very personal topic. Um, I, I've certainly worked in places where um, it was uh, toxic. It was not a good place. And in those places, I, I was left wondering, gosh, am I the problem? Am I, am I the issue here? Um, and I've also worked in places where I've had leaders who have poured into me. And, and I've watched that even with my own family, where we've worked in places where there have been really terrific leaders who have taken the time to mentor and to pour into. And I, I can see the transformation. And for me, there was a there was an article that I wrote um, several years ago around social exchange theory and employee engagement. And I, I, I really kind of pushed away from that idea of social exchange theory, although it was a predominant theoretical framework that was used to kind of connect engagement to other things. And the idea here was that 
employee, employees were engaged at high levels because the, the organization gave them something. They gave them the opportunity to learn and develop. They, they gave them some kind of a benefit. They gave them some flexibility or autonomy in their work. And I just don't believe that that's how engagement works. See, for me, that's expectation. An expectation takes something from me. I think employee engagement for me is about anticipation. And that anticipation isn't from me, but it's for you. It's about what's possible. And for me, being in a place where someone can live their life, knowing that they belong and that their voice matters and that they can do their best work and that they can be engaged, that's something that everyone can be a part of that. I believe that to be possible for everybody that goes to work because the opposite of that is to believe that there are just some people and Karen Woolard wrote this line in her article called quiet desperation. I believe it was an HRD. Uh, it was either an HRDR or advances. And she said, uh, for those people, the opposite of that is, is that they will live in quiet desperation for the rest of their lives. It's, it's assuming that there's just this group of people that could never be engaged. And I could just tell story after story after story about people who have been in places of work, but yet never felt valued, never saw equity, never felt like they could raise their hand in a meeting. And man, what else would you expect from that particular context, but putting it into a new context? this transformation. And so for me, engagement isn't about expectation. It's about anticipation. It isn't about transaction like social exchange theory would suggest to us. It's about transformation. It's about I'm different and this is different as a result of this experience. And and that's that's what real engagement for me is all about. And that's why I'm passionate about this because I believe that people who live and work in places who experience high levels of engagement, they fundamentally live a different life. Well, Brad, that feels a great place to wrap up this opening section of the episode. Thank you so much indeed for your time today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And I, I cannot wait to see what the future holds, not only for human resource development, but for what it's gonna mean for employee engagement. Well, wonderful. Well, please stay with us and we'll have you back later in the episode for our group conversation. But for the time being, thank you so much indeed. Thank you, Darren. My second guest for the episode is Dr. Kim Nyman, professor in the Department of Human Resource Development at the University of Texas at Tyler. Her areas of expertise are in workforce development and quantitative data analytical methods. Kim currently serves as co-principal investigator and the external evaluator for one and two NSF funded projects. Kim is co-author of the Work Cognition and Work Intention Inventories, lead author of the Y-Hat Package, and editor emeritus of Human Resource Development Quarterly. Kim received the Early Career Scholar Award the Elwood F. Halton III Research Excellence Award, and Cutting Edge Awards from the Academy of Human Resource Development. She also holds patents from both the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office and Canada Intellectual Property Office. Hi, Kim. Welcome to the Human Resource Development Masterclass. It's great to have you here in our episode focused on employee engagement. Well, thanks a lot, Darren, and for the Academy of having me. 
Um, this is really an honor. I consider uh, the Academy of Human Resource Development my professional home. And in fact, that was one of the reasons I came to UT Tyler because all of the faculty are active members and contributors to the Academy of Human Resource Development. So I'm really happy to participate in this podcast. In my conversation with Brad, it was clear that there are lots of different aspects to employee engagement. And so I'm wondering what the focus has been for your research on the subject. Yeah, it was very interesting. Um, I, I got to a chance to listen to Brad's um, conversation with you. And it's fun to hear that he followed a process that was very similar to the work that Dreyser Garmi and I've done on the employee work passion model. And I know Dre and I started on this process or this area of research in 2007, 2008, and employee engagement was used a lot and and probably talked a lot about in practice, but academics or academicians had really not yet embraced that as a concept. And so one of the first things that Dre and I did was to review the literature. And I'll say at that point in time, it really wasn't that much literature compared to where it is today. And we sought to develop um, a definition that we could operationalize and test. Prior to that, the definitions were kind of all over the place. Sometimes employee engagement would mean to somebody that what we would call the antecedents of engagement and other um, researchers or, or practitioners would consider that it was the outcomes associated with that. And so our very first dipping our toe into the field of this um, area of employee engagement was to add our own definition and to review the literature from both practitioners and what had been done in the academy about employee engagement. And then we created a new new term at that time. We called it employee work passion to differentiate from a lot of the, uh, we consider some of the confusion about what employee engagement was because there are so many different um, definitions. So we define employee work passion as an individual's persistent, emotionally positive, meaning-based, state of well-being, stemming from recurring cognitive and affective appraises of various job and organizational situations that result in consistent, constructive work intentions and behaviors. And that definition, although it's somewhat of a mouthful, really sets the stage for what our body of research has been. Because as we developed that definition and created a model around that definition, we published that in Human Resource Development Review. We then followed that eventually with a field test where we field tested that model. But what we found when we went to go field test it, this was kind of like giving a mouse a cookie, that book, if you're familiar with it. We had a definition, but then yet we didn't have instrumentation to operationalize all the components of our model. So we started out with the cognitive aspects, considering what people think about their work environment. There were constructs that were somewhat related to the things we cared about, things like autonomy and meaningful work, but they were blurred. They blurred between the cognitive aspects and the affective aspects and sometimes the intents. So we wanted to create constructs that were pure from the perspective of what employees thought about the organization. And when we created those items, we wanted to make sure that they were measuring tasks or things that an organization can do that were actionable. So that if a organization used one of our scales and their group of employees or their whole organization scored low, we can look back at those items and see actionable steps that the organization could take to help move the needle up on that. 
We then created a set of scales to measure work intentions. Same problem. It's not that there weren't scales that were in that general area of intent to endorse or intent to stay or intent to stay with the organization, but they weren't focused just on the intents. And so we sought out to create a set of scales that focused just on the intents. And once we got all of that done, then we went to go field test our model and uh, started that process using US um, as our mediating variable so that US and our employee well-being was the relationship between cognition and attention was explained with well-being and the relationship between affect and intention was explained by well-being. And that's really kind of the tenet of what we've done. And, from, and since that point, we've just continued to iterate on that basic model. But that's the core of what we've been working on since about 2008. I, I find often when I'm in conversations about employee engagement that it's assumed that um, that companies should care about employee engagement. I, it's, it's obvious that they should. But I wonder whether it's actually worth taking a step back from that and asking the question, why do you think companies should care about employee engagement? Yeah, I agree with you. I think if you go to any organization, not any organization, we've got a lot of organizations, especially um, hospitals and public areas like that. It's not uncommon to see the kind of those thermometers and they kind of show where, where their organization is on employee engagement and looking to see a lift. And so I think it is something that most companies consider as something that they should be looking at. And they're right, because it tends to be that companies with engaged employees, those employees will tend to use organizational citizen behaviors more. They'll tend to endorse the organization. They'll tend to perform at a higher level than their counterparts that are not engaged. They'll tend to stay with the organization longer and they'll intend to use discretionary effort. So there, again, if you go back to my, our definition about employee, or employee work passion, we are building on that positive um, psychology movement. And so, yes, we want employees to be engaged because they tend to exhibit really positive behaviors in the workplace. Now, the differences between what measure of engagement or well-being or passion that you might use might give you more of a hint as to which of those intents might be higher or lower because there are different measures of that mediating variable and it depends on what you're using as to what it might be kind of kind of giving you an idea of what those intents are within your organization. From the conversation that we've had here and from the earlier one with Brad as well, it, it becomes obvious that an organization has many different levers that it can pull to influence employee engagement. However, if a, if a company could only focus on one of those, could only focus on one aspect of employee engagement, what would you recommend it focuses in on? recognizing that we're all limited in the resources that we have, either through time or resources or other aspects. If I had one thing to go work on, one thing to make a difference in an organization, it would be meaningful work. Meaningful work across all the different constructs that we have studied continues to be the construct. It continues to be that thing that employees think about their organization that makes the biggest unique difference in those five intents that we talked about before. And it's not saying that job issues like autonomy and task variety and workload balance aren't important, 
And it's not saying that organizational cognitions like distributive justice and procedural justice and growth and performance expectations are important. And I'm not saying that issues about people, having connectedness with your colleagues or your leader, or having good feedback and collaboration, those are all important. But if you could only work on one thing, it would be meaningful work. There was a time probably, maybe the right after um, 2000, that people started talking about work as being um, a, a calling of work. And so you've seen all sorts of different things. Um, maybe someone that's a, a bricklayer is not viewing their work just as a bricklayer, but they're building either a castle for somebody or um, a barista is not just preparing coffee, but they're creating community be between home and work. And some of those things I think can sound I don't know, easy, and but they're, and they're not necessarily easy. But you've you've been in you've been in organizations, you've been in companies or opportunities to work with an employee, and you know the difference for someone that their work really is meaningful to them, that it really is part of their calling, is part of their core characteristic of what what that is. And sometimes it takes an organization to help ask the employee. What is your personal mission statement? What's your personal mission statement as it relates to what you're doing here in this organization? And looking for a synergy between what the organization's mission statement is and what the employee's personal mission statement is. And sometimes that takes a little bit of work to help employees think about their work from that perspective as work as a calling or work that has meaning outside of just helping the corporation make, make money. And I think that's really an important aspect that we can bring to the table as human resource development practitioners is to help employ, employers understand how they can connect their employees to meaningful work and that process of work as a calling. Now, we're having this conversation during the COVID pandemic, and my sense is that meaningful work could have been impacted by this pandemic, as in each day when I read the papers, there's stories about the concept of the great resignation. And I have friends and colleagues who are reflecting on what's meaningful for them now, having had the opportunity to work from home for for a, a year or so, and that's changed what is meaningful for them. So I'm interested in your perspective on this and whether you feel like COVID has impacted what's meaningful to people and how that therefore would translate into changing thoughts around employee engagement. Yeah, I, I agree with you that I think COVID is changing how we're thinking about work. And I think if we, we think about knowledge workers, which I fit in this space as, as a knowledge worker, I've never really thought about my safety um, regarding work, but now it is a concern. And I think it's a concern for many employees. And so when we think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, safety needs is one of the very core foundational elements that employees um, need to consider before we start thinking about work engagement. And so I think corporations and employers have a, um, a unique time here to figure out how to provide a, an environment that is safe for their employees. And that's probably their one of their number one concerns um, as they work towards developing an engaged workforce. In this conversation, I think probably in 
several conversations that I've had about employee engagement, I find that the reference point is often the company or the organization. So like, what should a company do about employee engagement? So I was wondering what happens if we take this down to the level of an individual manager or leader and what advice you would have to somebody about being a better manager or leader when you think of it from the perspective of employee engagement? Yeah, that's a really good question about what does it take for a manager to help their workforce become engaged? Um, I ran a company uh, along with my husband with uh, about 100 engineers um, before I got into the job of being a professor. But I wish I, I knew more about the work that I've done now and could, could kind of go back in, in time and, and be that manager. Because what I know now is there's not a one size fits all to developing an engaged workforce. And that what is work as a calling or what is meaningful work to one employee may be very different to another employee. For one person, it may be getting off at three o'clock so that they can pick their kids up at school and help them with homework. For somebody else, it may be working at an institution that has tuition reimbursement so they can go back to school or maybe allow for their, their family member to go back to school. I think as many different people as there are in organizations, there are different views of what meaningful work is. I don't think I quite understood that as a manager. I mean, it's, it seems somewhat obvious, but you have to think about people that are managers. They may not be trained in management. I had an undergraduate degree in computer science, and somehow, I don't know how I got into management. I got into it, right? And then you're doing it and you know, working crazy hours, raising families, and not always having time to go figure out what is the best process. But what I say to that manager today, or what I say to myself you know, many years ago, is really know your employees. Have that conversation with your employees about what what is it about this job? You know, why did you pick this job? What are, what are the unique aspects of that? Because it's possible that employers or managers will try to do something to help improve something in the organization, and it can backfire on you because you are now tapping into what was actually meaningful to that employee because now you, you maybe go to a four-day work week. And you think, well, that'd be great because everybody can have a three-day weekend. Well, that's not so good for somebody who needs to, who's wanting to get off at three o'clock to go pick up their kids because now they're working later hours. So that's just one example. Um, there could be many others, but really is know your employee, have conversations with your employee. Right? Recognize that people do bring their emotions to work. Affect is a really important part of our employee work passion model, and I didn't speak much about it. But what we know is it is, it is it is the undercurrent of all the things about how people think about the organization, how they what feelings they have of engagement, and what their intents and their behaviors are. Affect undergirds all of that. Affect and people's emotions, that's kind of messy. And we may not want to you know, deal with that. We may want not want to deal with our own emotions, depending on, where, on how emotionally savvy we are or how emotionally intelligent we are. And so recognizing that if you have issues in talking to your employees when they are in an emotional state, having somebody on your staff that can help um, talk to employees. Uh, for example, um, here, at least in, in Texas, there are a lot of organizations that have corporate chaplains. And corporate chaplains serve sort of some of the same functions as employee assistance um, programs but they're hands-on, they're on, they're on site and they're talking to employees. 
and can have those conversations that maybe a manager's not, not equipped to do, but have somebody on your staff that can help and speak to those issues um, that we all bring to work because we're, we're humans. When we go back a little in the conversation and we were talking about the single lever that an organization could pull and you, you were saying there about meaningful work. And then if I then layer on your answer to the last question about the power that a manager or an individual leader has around that, if you put those two together and an organization is trying to move this lever of meaningful work, is there much that an organization can do as an organization? So for example, organizational systems and processes and tools, or is it really a case of organizations empowering their individual managers to move that needle? You know, I think, I think we know that organizations have cultures and, and sometimes those cultures are really easy to see when you go in. And sometimes you just have to do a little bit of digging and they, and they, come, they, they come out. Developing a, a culture where it's a caring community, that is what the organization can do. And then hire to that. Hire to that, hire managers that are capable of that. And when managers are not capable of that, provide training opportunities to help them have those conversations. I'm a big proponent of having prepared responses and and um, thinking through how we might respond to different situations. You know, Tom Shermack's done a lot of work on scenario planning and the same kinds of things. We know employees tend to have similar types of issues. And when we put somebody into a management position, very oftentimes, especially in small organizations, there's no training that goes in and they're just, they're, they're plopped in there. And usually because they're technically good at whatever it is that's going on. And now they have all those other things, all the kind of the people aspects of that. And so I think we as an organization have an opportunity is to help train those, train those managers, train those supervisors, give them the tools, and then give them somebody else to talk to when they are encountering a new situation. You know, how do I handle this situation? Maybe having uh, coaching or mentoring or focus groups or something like that would, would, would help, especially new, new managers and new supervisors. And there's a lot there that is the remit of HRD, isn't there? The whole idea of training the managers and of creating a culture where there's coaching and there's mentoring and there's feedback, as in that is all within the remit of HRD. Absolutely. Tra training our, you know, our, our people are the, the, the core of what we do in an organization. And we just can't expect that all managers, all supervisors have the knowledge and have the competencies and skills in order to, to lead people. I think that's something that uh, takes time to learn and we can all continue to grow and do better in that. That's perfect. Well, thank you so much indeed for your time today, Kim. It's been great having a conversation on employee engagement with you. You're welcome. So please stay with us and we'll have you back later in the episode for our group conversation. For the meantime, thank you so much indeed. My third guest for the episode is Dr. Jay Young Lee. Assistant Professor of General Education College at Kukmin University in South Korea. Jay Young also teaches research trends in HRD, human performance technology, 
and research methods in the graduate programs at Iwa Women's University and Chungang University. She received her doctoral degree at Penn State, majoring in workforce education and development, with an emphasis on HRD-OD. Jay Young has published 18 articles and two book chapters related to the HRD field. One of her articles won the Emerald Literati Award, and she serves as a reviewer for several HRD-related journals. Before she became an assistant professor, Jay Young was the team leader of the global HRD team at KTNG. Hi, Jay Young. Welcome to the Human Resource Development Masterclass. It's great to have you here in our episode focused on employee engagement. Hello, Darren. Thank you so much for having me today. As a junior scholar in the HRD field, it's a great honor for me to be on this podcast with Dr. Brett Schauf and Dr. Kim Nyman. I'm so excited for this opportunity. Well, we're delighted that you're able to join us. And I've been thinking about all of the places that we could start our conversation. And I'm thinking that maybe a good one is to start by exploring what the term employee engagement means to you. Well, based on my work experiences as an HRD professional for 16 years at a Korean company, I think um, employee engagement is the employee's cognitive, emotional, and behavioral energy in the work contest. Uh, From my observations, engaged employees are usually filled with positive energy and their energy impacted on others in positive ways. Uh, The engaged employees know what they're doing and know the meaning of their work. They also sustain healthy relationships with their work and organization. The healthy relationships are usually based on qualities like trust, mutual respect, quality, responsibility, and autonomy. Sounds like you got interested in employee engagement as a result of working. Is that is that is that right? Was that your first connection in getting interested in employee engagement? Well, um, before I met Dr. Rocco, I was not really interested in employee engagement as a research topic. When I was a doctoral student at Penn State, I had a chance to translate Dr. Rocco's lecture about employee engagement and resources for. Korean HRD practitioners who came to Florida to attend the ATD conference in 2015. Uh, Since I am not a professional interpreter, I emailed Dr. Rocco if I could have her slides or notes, whatever in advance to prepare the interpretation. So she sent me her presentation slides a week before the lecture and I found that the content was very interesting. So I started to do a little bit of my own research and uh, read the articles that were cited in her presentation slides. On the presentation day, uh, Dr. Roku's presentation was very successful. The HRD practitioners were very curious about the topic and asked a lot of questions. So the presentation turned into a discussion between Dr. Rocco, uh, the practitioners, and me. And after the discussion, Dr. Rocco asked me whether I'm interested in writing an article with her. And of course, I said yes. 
<laughs> later, <laughs> later, we developed ideas around employee and resources, and Dr. Rocco invited Dr. Shaw to join our project. So we published an article titled, uh, What is a Resource Toward the Taxonomy of Resources for Employee Engagement in the Human Resource Development Review? Uh, that was a long story, but that's how I got interested in the employee engagement topic. I'm certainly keen to talk a bit about the, the resources piece. Before I do, though, I'm also interested in the fact that you became interested in employee engagement in the United States and you then returned back to Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wondering what your personal experience has been of being in the in Korea and in the United States and how employee engagement looks different or similar in those two countries. Uh, that is an interesting question. And um, before I answer this question, I should emphasize that um, whatever I say, this is my own personal opinion or thoughts. So it does not uh, represent the Korean scholars or Korean practitioners' perspectives at all. Personally, I don't think the concept of employee engagement is different in the U- US and Korea. As I mentioned before, uh, for me, employee engagement is one's cognitive, emotional, and uh, behavioral energy in the work context. The intensity of energy might be different from person to person, but I think the concept is pretty universal. When I worked as uh, the, uh, the global HRD team leader, I worked with our regional HRD managers from the United States, Turkey, Russia, China, and Indonesia. From my experience, all of us were on the same page when we talked about employee engagement, and I rarely recognized any cultural differences regarding the understanding of employee engagement from our original HRD managers. So you've had an opportunity then to look at employee engagement, both as a researcher and as a practitioner. So I'd like to look at each of those in turn and maybe begin with your time as a practitioner. Uh, How did you approach employee engagement in your practice? Um, In hindsight, I think all the interventions and learning programs that I planned or designed were directly or indirectly related to enhancing employee engagement. This is because uh, learning is essential to employee engagement. Many employees engage in their work that aids their professional or career development, which allows them to develop their skills or knowledge. They also engage in organizations which care about their employees' development and growth. Well, of course, as the global HRD team leader, I measured the engagement level of our local employees and reported the results to the presidents and executives at headquarters. Based on the results, I also uh, held workshops with our regional HRD managers about how we could enhance employee engagement. What happened as a result of those meetings? I think were certain actions taken to improve employee engagement? Do you remember? Sure. Sometimes I had to design interventions 
but it does not necessarily focused on uh, learning programs because you know there are so many other factors that affect employee engagement. So in that case, I had to um, collaborate with our HR managers in that case because you know the employee engagement is very complicated issue, and um, you know uh, learning program alone cannot solve the problem. <laughs> Yeah, it's a systemic issue, I suppose. So in order to mm-hmm. uh, understand it and take action, you would need to look at it as a system and then right, also correct. figure out what are the multiple levers I need to pull in order to change employee mm-hmm. engagement. Mm-hmm. So how about within your research? So you mentioned earlier that you published an article with uh, Tanet Rocco and Brad Shuck And you mentioned then that it was about taxonomy of resources. So what does that term resources mean in the context of employee engagement? And what are the important resources that promote employee engagement? Well, um, resources are something valuable that people want to obtain, retain and protect. They can be anything from personal characteristics to objects. And employee engagement resources are critical because um, employees need resources to be engaged or retain their energy level. Well, in other words, resources are responsible for the functions of maintenance, intensity, and direction of cognitive, emotional, and behavioral energy. Therefore, um, having enough and suitable resources and being able to access those resources are significant in employee engagement. From our uh, literature view, uh, we, I mean, uh, Dr. Rocco, Dr. Uh, Shuck and I found out that uh, there are five different levels of resources and those are organizational resources, social resources, job resources, home resources, and personal resources. Each category is important in promoting employee engagement. However, uh, the value of resources depends on one's subjective uh, perceptions or the uh, fit of the resources to a certain context. For example, um, job autonomy. Job autonomy is considered as important job resource for many employees. However, if a person is not qualified to do a job alone, or he or she is not capable of doing the job due to the lack of skills or knowledge, the job autonomy could turn into a job demand, which creates huge stress. So if I took this down to an individual level as a a manager or a leader in the company, would I look at research like that and think, you know, how do I have a conversation with an employee to find out what resources are important to this individual in order to get their engagement? Sure. I think um, our taxonomy is very helpful resource. For our uh, for the managers, and but uh, the taxonomy alone cannot be a good resource because um, again, as I mentioned before, 
the value of resources depends on one's subjective perceptions or the fit of the resources to a certain context. So um, the manager should uh, look at the situation carefully and should think about what resources fit to the person and fit to the uh, certain context. It sounds like one of the things it, it would encourage, I think, is it would encourage somebody to take maybe an holistic view of employee mm -hmm. engagement, as in it encourages someone to take a look at all of the resources so they don't just, presumably, the risk being they could just focus in on a subset of resources. Sure, sure. Uh, when we did our literature review, we found that home resources uh, people did not pay much attention on um, home resources. But under the pandemic situation, home resources became very important and critical um, part for people to be engaged. So I think um, our taxonomy gave the uh, holistic view. And um, at that point, when we published the article, we found out that home resources were relatively ignored, but uh, we uh, found that home resources also important uh, for employee engagement. And now, uh, you know, the situation has changed and, um, you know, we were right. Home resources were also important for employee engagement. So listening to your answers about resources makes me think about whether those resources have changed as a result of COVID-19 and, and indeed whether employee engagement as a whole has changed because, because of the pandemic. Well, I think uh, employee engagement and resources have become far more important issues during the current situation. And due to the COVID-19 pandemic, work context and the way we work have dramatically changed. For example, um, many people began working from home involuntarily and have had to communicate and collaborate with others virtually. The, the situation is confusing and uncertain for many employees and they're anxious about the sudden changes and they feel lonely. And it can make it more difficult for employees to be engaged and they may require more resources than usual or need different resources under the pandemic situation. For example, some people may not have um, enough home resources such as family support to overcome this change and others may have been unable to access or gain new resources under this situation, such as um, social support from managers or their colleagues. And such resources have become even more important than usual during the pandemic. So, so during the pandemic then, with those sorts of resources unavailable to some employees, how does that change their employee engagement? As in, what would a manager or a leader see in their workforce? Well, I think uh, the situation is different from uh, person to person because, you know, uh, especially women with small children, <laughs> they're, uh, they they're in trouble, especially trouble under 
the pandemic situation. So in that case, it's really hard for them to engage in their work at home while uh, taking care of their children. In that case, uh, I think managers should uh, pay attention to their uh, to the individual situation and uh, they have to ask them what they will be helpful, what kind of support they would need because you know the situation is different from uh, person to person. So the same uh, support would not be helpful for each person. As a final question, what comes next for you in your research on employee engagement? Where do you see your research interests in the future? Um, currently, I'm working on another engagement paper with uh, Dr. Rocco and Dr. Shuck. And this study is kind of a follow-up study to our first study. The taxonomy study revealed how the engagement uh, literature defined and positioned resources. And now we move forward and try to answer questions like which resources are important in particular situations or who should be responsible for distributing the resources. And I'm looking forward to sharing our new study in the near future. (laughs) And regarding your second question, I think I'll keep researching employee engagement because um, it is a very important topic in the HRD field. And uh, the employee engagement increases not only organizational performance, but also um, employee employee psychological well-being. So I think it's really important topic. And I feel passionate about knowing about knowing more about employee engagement. But at the same time, I feel like I know only a tip of the iceberg of employee engagement. So I hope I can contribute to the field through my continuous research. Well, that sounds that sounds wonderful. It actually makes me feel as if you found something that engages you as an employee. (laughs) Yes. Well, Jay Young, thank you so much indeed for our conversation today. It's been a pleasure chatting with you about employee engagement. Thank you. Well, please stay with us and we'll have you back later in the episode for our group conversation with Brad and with Kim. So thank you so much indeed. Up next, we have the group discussion where my guests are together to discuss their shared passion for the episode's topic. This discussion is brought to you thanks to the Board of Directors of the Academy of Human Resource Development who invite you to attend the 29th Annual Research Conference in the Americas, being held in Arlington, Virginia, February 23rd to 26th. It's the ideal opportunity to meet leading scholars, researchers and rising stars, including many of the guests on this podcast, as they report their cutting-edge research and share insights on rethinking the meaning of work. The event is perfect for learning and networking. You can also opt to attend some of the conference virtually. For full details, click on the conference link on the AHRD homepage at ahrd.org. Welcome back to the Human Resource Development Masterclass. Our focus for this episode is employee engagement, and I've already met one-to-one with Brad Shuck, Kim Nyman, and Jay Young Lee. 
And for the final section of the episode, we're all back together for our group chat. So welcome back, Brad, Kim, and Jay Young. Thank you, Darren. Thank you, Darren. Thanks, Darren. I'm happy to be here. To start us off, I'd like to dig a little into how employee engagement differs between and within organizations, and, and specifically to look at whether there are particular organizations or functions of organizations that are more likely to have employee engagement issues, and if so, why that would be. I believe, uh, fundamentally, I believe that everybody can be engaged. I think everybody has the capacity to be engaged in their life. And so I do think that everyone in every organization across the world has the potential and the capacity to be engaged. When we think about are there positions or are there organizations that are likely to have engagement issues, those those positions or those organizations could be those that have a greater power distance. Maybe it's those, those positions that have been traditionally um, undervalued or, or perhaps marginalized. And I know we're coming out of a, of a global pandemic, and I can't help but think about how important our, our grocery uh, stock workers were and the folks who, who run our checkout lines or the folks that ran logistics, the, the bus drivers who drive our, our kids to school in the morning and how thankful we are. I can't. I can't recall a lot of research that has really dug into engagement levels of, of bus drivers or of folks who stock grocery shelves. And maybe, maybe that needs to change. Maybe that's, that's a shift in a trend in the field that we need to take more stock in. And so when we think about are those, are there positions that are likely to have issues, I would encourage us to think about really, really important conversations that we're having nationally around diversity, equity, inclusion, around power distance, around voice, and around belonging. And and to maybe rethink the way that we're looking at defining and, and perhaps even measuring experience of engagement out in the field. And maybe we're talking back to your question about what organizations or function organizations or areas are there more likely to have engagement issues? And I think areas where people don't feel safe is going to be, it's, it's like a foundation. It's like a foundation. You've got to have safety first, I think, before you can move on to engagement. You may have compliance, may have compliance, but you may not have engagement. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more there that safety is one of those prerequisite conditions that we need to have uh, before we can even ask engagement to be a reality. It's not even a fair ask if we don't at the basis have safety psychologically, physically, emotionally, socially in place. I, I think maybe engagement is an, is an unfair ask at that time. From uh, my observation, I think when an organization is stagnant without change or development for a long period of time, people tend to disengage from their work and from their organization. And this is because I think when an organization does not grow and there's no change, people do not drive cognitive or emotional stimulation from their work. So um, when there is no change, employees have few opportunities to develop themselves. And in my previous organization, one of the overseas sales offices could not expand their business at all for a decade due to government regulation. And 
sharing our ambitions for the companies and our visions for the future was crucial tool uh, we used to recruit talent. We were successful in attracting talent, but when government regulation prevented the company from uh, growing toward these ambitions, we we just failed to retain the employees we, we had hired. So I observed that uh, when there's no change, the organization is likely to have employee engagement issues. This makes me think a little then about how if employee engagement can differ between organizations or between functions within organizations in a way we've just been talking about kind of takes me back a little to the question I asked Kim in our one-to-one, which was about the question of which levers an organization can pull to have the fastest impact on employee engagement. So I'm actually wondering whether those levers therefore can differ a little by organization or by function or whether in fact the the levers to pull are pretty much going to be the same between organizations. Well, I can't wait to hear what my colleagues answer to this, but I'll, I'll tell you what, what I know from my research. Meaningful work is always the top cognition, the top thing that people think about their work that relates to employee engagement. And so if you if you could only work on one thing in your organization, helping your employees move from the process of work to the meaning of work, and for them to feel like their work is meaningful is one of the biggest levers. Not only is it highly related to positive things that we want employees to do, like use discretionary effort, stay with the organization, use organizational citizenship behaviors, not only does it relate to those things, but it contributes uniquely above and beyond the other things that we care about, that employees think about that's important to engagement, including things like being connected to their colleagues or being connected to their leader, having autonomy and distributed justice and pursuit of justice. All these things are important as well, but meaningful work is going to contribute the most to those intentions. And I found that across and many different types of organizations, different departments, different job types, it consistently comes up on top. Well, um, Dr. Kim Nyman emphasized the meaningful work, and I totally, totally agree with her. However, uh, during a pandemic, it seems like building trust is crucial to improving employee engagement During the pandemic, employees started to work from home and many managers do not know how to virtually lead their teams. So their anxiety about uh, this can lead them to micromanage or overly control their employees. So the other day, I was told by one of the attendees of my presentation that all the employees in her company were required to have a camera on while they're working at home because the company wants to monitor what they're doing. She told me how she and her colleagues were angry and disappointed with her uh, company for this. So uh, the issue she is facing is not limited to her company and many others wants to control and micromanage their employees because of a lack of trust. So uh, this distrust eventually makes employees disengaged So I believe that uh, this is not just limited to the company case that I have just mentioned. And I think uh, building trust is a lever that organizations should pull to positively influence employee engagement 
especially during this pandemic era. If I'm a leader in an organization looking to drive engagement at this time, uh, principle over practice is, is the way that I would encourage somebody to move forward. And, and that would be, to Kim's point about meaningful work as a principle, and to Jay Young's point about trust as a principle, will drive practice. What I see sometimes is organizations taking a practice from another organization that they see works in that context and trying to duplicate that practice within their own organization, and then it doesn't work, and they wonder why. And my encouragement would be to take the principles, the things that we know really move the needle on engagement, meaningful work, trust, autonomy, justice, equity, and to that list, I would add belonging. And think about the practices that you can develop within your own context that help you develop your own value proposition for your organization, and then live those out versus trying to be somebody else. When we think about the levers that we've just been talking about there, none of those are levers that HRD has sole control over, which presumably means that HRD therefore has to work with other organizational functions to move the needle of employee engagement. So I'm wondering which organizational functions HRD is most likely to work with in order to address these systemic issues that impact organizational employee engagement. Theoretically, there are no specific functions that HRD always work with uh, to address systemic issues. However, uh, from my experiences, I frequently worked with uh, the HRM department the most because uh, the function of HRM and HRD are closely related and many HRM practices such as uh, performance feedback, evaluation, career advancement, onboarding, and salaries and other compensations are directly or indirectly related to employee engagement. In addition, I also worked with um, IT department a lot. And these days, communications, work, learning, I mean, most activities are mediated by digital devices or technology. So especially after uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, these changes have accelerated. And since technology is an essential tool and used to manage most information within an organization, HRD practitioners often collaborate with uh, this IT department. And I think of this as, as culture, right? I mean, these things are, they're embedded. You, you see it. You see it when you walk into an organization that has a culture that, that has this. I, I, and I don't really know how you know it, but you know it. You, you go into even to a restaurant or something like that, and you see a particular staff person or a waitress or that's engaged and you can you can see it in, in how they approach their work and I think a lot of times there's a culture built into an organization now there certainly can be um, an engaged person in a culture that is not supportive of engagement but I think it's more typical that there's a positive culture that where all these really you know positive things are going on it, it breeds the environment for people to be engaged and so from that perspective it's everybody's responsibility to, to build that culture and to cultivate that culture of engagement. Like, okay, so what, what can HRD professionals, scholars and, and researchers really do to dig into this idea of engagement? And, you know, if I'm thinking organizationally across the employee life cycle, and I think about these moments that people live into, you know, that first six months is so critical, right? Like, 
that very first day is so important to make sure that we get that first day right. That when someone walks in, there's been some thought about them coming into the team and then there's some intentional maybe activities or there's lunch. And I've given this example a couple of times in, in, in conversations recently is about swag. It's important for us to think about how we build in artifacts and milestones for for building opportunities for people to connect deeply about their work and their passions and their professions. And I'm excited about the idea that HRD is now becoming very multidisciplinary and transdisciplinary across organizations and thinking about that entire employee experience. So to follow the thread a little further, I'm now thinking about how an organization can actually track progress so how it can measure employee engagement and then changes in employee engagement over time and and most organizations have uh, some form of an annual employee survey so i'm wondering whether a survey like that provides a vehicle for organizations to measure employee engagement and track it over time I think an annual survey is is a good, it's a data point, and it's a good data point. I think it's really, really important to survey everyone in your, your organization, not just your desk workers. Not everybody in your organization may have access to a computer, they may not be familiar with a computer, may not be familiar with the idea of paper and pencil surveys. And so I think it's really important that if this is something that, and if this is your technique, that you're gonna use surveys to kind of measure this, is that there has to be an education process and you need to, need to consider all the people in your organization, not just the knowledge workers that are sitting at their desk. So that's really an important part. I also think it is incumbent on the organization to do something with that data and to involve the employees in that process. And so I don't think it does a lot of good to take surveys and then to just put it up on a dashboard and not do anything to make any changes. I think you can actually do more harm than good by asking questions that you are not going to work on um, responding to those responses to that. We're really getting pretty good at analyzing um, people's comments. And that used to be, you know, people would kind of put that on a survey kind of as a kind of a last minute idea. If you have any other comments or thoughts, put them here. And then oftentimes that would get stored on some server and nobody ever looked at it because it wasn't easy to analyze. Well, now that kind of comment and those comments, which are incredibly rich, deep information that my qualitative people would say, that's much easier to analyze today. Our technology can really, really do a good job getting a sense of what those comments are. I mean, there's still going to, it's still a whole lot more work to analyze that than it is a Likert type data, but you can get a pretty good first um, blush of that data with technologies that are out there today. And my other point I want to say about the idea of an annual survey is an annual service is okay, just like you know, going to the doctor once a year for an annual exam is okay, but I think there need to be pulse points. Um, I think building in a culture of assessing and kind of seeing how things are going within the organization and doing it not just once a year, but continuously. And again, if there's practitioners listening to this podcast, please reach out to one of us or to a scholar because there's all sorts of different techniques that can be used. 
where you can assess um, your organization over time and really track change over time and not have to burden every single person in your organization with the you know, 75 item survey. There's lots of different techniques we can use to, to kind of pulse and, and to give much, much smaller surveys to different pockets of people and then kind of collect that data and get really good robust data as if you sampled your whole, your whole company you know, every, every month. Final question then. Um, I'm thinking about HRD professionals who are listening to the episode and some of whom are working in organizations that currently don't focus much attention on employee engagement. And I'm sure that those people are listening in thinking, how do I put together a business case for my organization to focus on it? It sounds like the as a strong argument to do that. So I'm wondering what advice you have for an HRD professional on how to demonstrate to company leadership that working on employee engagement has a positive return on investment over time. I think return on investment is an important issue for many HRD professionals when demonstrating their value to the leadership in organizations and Many researchers already empirically prove that a higher level of employee engagement leads to better individual performance and better organizational productivity. And reflecting on my own experience as an HRD professional, I can remember that um, I was occasionally challenged by senior managers regarding the ROI of HRD interventions. However, um, I was not challenged when the company leadership thought that I was working on really important or meaningful issues for them. So what I wanna highlight here is that um, if the leadership empathizes with the importance of employee engagement, they will not ask or question the ROI on employee engagement. And although ROI is important, I think it's not always the best way to demonstrate the value of what we're doing. You know, I, I agree. I agree so much with what Jay Young's saying. I, I think about the um, companies who become B Corp certified here in the U.S. and how they think about social um, businesses for social good, not just um, economic prosperity. And, and, and I get I understand that a that a business at, at some fundamental level has got to be a profitable entity to to maintain its its livelihood, its 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 life and its longevity. Um, but Jay Young made a really important comment that I think is we need to highlight. Uh, and if you're listening to this podcast as a practitioner, as a leader, the idea of the intangibles around spaces and organizations where people can can come in and they can be fully engaged. It, it, I want us to think for a minute what that means. It means that um, I can be myself, that there's a sense of safety here. There's trust. There's, there's trust around, amongst the circle about, about how we operate. There's, there's a degree of meaning and purpose. There's a sense of belonging right now in this moment. And I can't imagine I can't imagine that employees who work in an organization where they feel those things, where they're, they're not more innovative and creative, where they don't hold back, where they're more vulnerable in the moment, where they make better decisions. And 
those things drive performance in so many ways. They so, so many ways. The, um, the idea that engagement is connected to performance, I think has the case has been long closed on that. There's, there's so many, many indicators that engagement are, is related to um, firm performance, um, unit performance, team performance, individual performance. But I love the idea that the intangible pieces of this lift everything. They lift, my, they lift me, first of all, and then they lift, they lift my team. And as my team lifts, it lifts the organization or the department. And then perhaps even if we think bigger about this, it lifts the community and it lifts, it lifts the industry. And we get to be better as a result of that. And I'm excited. I'm excited about that, that, that sense of intangibility. The other thing that I'll add to this is when we, when we think about employee engagement as as an indicator of performance, I think we objectify the idea of engagement. We, when we objectify something, we take the human element away from it. And in, in, in that sense, if we, if, we, if we take employee engagement, we take the human out of it, it's just engagement. And if it's just engagement, it's just engagement for engagement's sake. And engagement cannot happen in a vacuum. It, it, it does not exist in a vacuum. It requires a sense of maintenance. It requires a sense of intensity. And perhaps most importantly, it requires a sense of direction. It's got to be targeted towards something. And so if we, if we take the human out of engagement and we objectify that, then my colleague, my colleagues in the, in the UK, David Guest, uh, he's right. It, it, employee engagement is just corporate propaganda. It's just, uh, it's just, it's just an, a, a new way to make people work harder. But when organizations really lean into the things that Jay Young is talking about, when it looks and feels like to belong here, to be here, to trust here, to raise my hand here, to connect, I think things change. And, and that, I, th- I don't think engagement is transactional. In this moment, engagement is not a transaction. Engagement becomes transformational. It changes everything about the future. And that's what makes me so excited. Because engagement gives the option for hope, for possibility. It can be different and we can be better and get better. And I love that idea that it's totally unexpected and completely transformational. Well, that feels a wonderful and motivational way of wrapping up our episode. And unfortunately, we've reached the end of our time together. So I wanted to say a big thank you to all three of you for the for your the conversations that we've had and for being a part of our discussion on employee engagement. Thank you so much indeed. Thank you, guys. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you. Be well all. Take good care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. It was wonderful spending time with Brad, Kim, and Jay Young. If you enjoyed this episode, check out our others. There were 11 episodes released in the first season, and we're releasing a further 11 here in the second. Between them, they provide access to conversations with over 50 leading HRD scholars. New episodes release weekly. To learn more about the series, check out hrdmasterclass.com. And to learn about the Academy of Human Resource Development, check out ahrd.org. By becoming a member, you can access extra bonus materials not included in the podcast. 
Also, don't forget to look into our sponsors. The Department of Human Resource Development at the University of Texas at Tyler, Souls College of Business. Check them out by searching for UT Tyler HRD. You'll find their page at the top of the search results. And by the Board of Directors of the Academy of Human Resource Development, who invite you to attend the 29th Annual Research Conference in the Americas, being held in Arlington, Virginia, February 23rd to 26th. For full details, click on the conference link on the AHRD homepage at ahrd.org. I'm looking forward to being with you in our next episode. Until then, this is Darren Short, signing off from the HRD Masterclass. HRD Masterclass Podcast is brought to you by the Academy of Human Resource Development and is a production of allbypodcast.com.